Hello, and welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. Looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Ryan, and joining me this week is my co-host, Travis. How's it going, Travis? Hey, Ryan, I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Glad to be back. Uh, And just real quickly want to say thank you to Jocelyn and wish, wish her all the best with the new baby who's coming soon. It's an exciting time for her and her family. Yes, uh, as we detailed last episode, Jocelyn will be back. Uh, She will return. She is on maternity leave. She is on leave. She has not had the baby yet, but uh, she needed some extra time to prepare. And I said, don't worry. We talked about Starfield. You you know, take your time. uh, Come back when you're ready. And uh, I'm pretty sure we'll have plenty to talk about when she returns uh, in November's Kind of what we're aiming for. Uh, lots of games coming out in October, so she'll have she'll have some stuff to uh, to to pick from when she's ready to come back and talk about video games. Uh, although I know specifically, she's very very much looking forward to Alan Wake Two and uh, Assassin's Creed. Um, I want to say it's Mirage, but for some reason, I don't I don't think that's that's the name of of the game. And for some reason, my brain's like telling me it's not. But it is. It is Assassin's Creed Mirage. That's the one that's coming out in October. So uh, when Jocelyn returns, we will get her thoughts on Alan Wake 2 and Assassin's Creed Mirage and uh, and also the fact that she will be a brand new uh, mom. So there you go. Uh, Jocelyn will, will return and uh, we'll have some awesome guests on. Uh, Travis is here this week. Uh, I will be off next week. No gamers in this week. So we got we got Travis this week, and we have a whole host of uh, guests that I'll be lining up over the course of October. Plenty to talk about with the October releases. That being said, uh, Travis, I-, I brought you on the show specifically so we could talk about Sea of Stars, um, which is a game that came out in, funny enough, late August. Feels like forever ago but it's only been three weeks. <laughs> uh, you know, time is, is doing some weird stuff lately, but it, it came out August 31st. Uh, it's on Game Pass. It's on PlayStation Plus Plus. You could also purchase it <laughs> if you are so inclined. Um, I'm playing on Game Pass. Uh, you you played it on PlayStation, so I'm assuming it's from your subscription or? Yes, yeah, I played it through Plus Plus or what is it? Plus extra, I think, is what it's actually yes. called. <laughs> yeah, I don't do anyone favors by calling it plus plus because it it really. So which which one do I choose? It's like well, it's it's the middle tier. Um, so Sea of Stars is a is a game that uh, it was kickstarted back in early 2020. It was very successful there. It's made by Sabotage Studios, which is out of Montreal, uh, Quebec, in Canada here, and. Um, rave reviews because it is uh travis you described it as like a a throwback to old school super nes era rpgs and it's like a very modern take on that like it's basically taking that formula and applying current generation hardware type graphics and systems and such and basically making this love letter to uh some of the greatest rpgs ever made chrono trigger um, Super Mario RPG, those, those, that sort of era. Am I correct in that? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's, it's really difficult to articulate, but it's, it's even more than that as well in that it's not just a modern coat of paint. Um, I feel like 
they've taken what they've learned over the last 20 years of game design and applied that as well. Like it's, it keeps the themes and a lot of mechanics from those, um, those old classic games. Um, but the design feels, feels modern. Um, the, the dungeon layouts are, are phenomenal. There's really good traversal mechanics for getting around and all of that feels much more modern than what you would have seen in the SNES era. So it's a really interesting combination of, uh, of classic and modern RPG styles. Yeah. Yeah. The traversal, that's a really good point. I noticed that as well. And, uh, one thing that for, for, for an example of like modern, uh, design for games is the is the shortcuts you know the mm. uh the, the lack of uh backtracking so like when you're going through a dungeon it very much feels like oh man this this could be ripped straight from an snes game but then there comes a moment when you've progressed further into this dungeon and it's like oh we've opened up this pathway and now we have oh this shortcut will be really handy that really wouldn't have existed uh, from what i remember in in back in those days in the 90s it'd just be like nope this is a linear dungeon and we might give you a teleport at the end might <laughs> you know that's about right um yeah and they've, they've done a great job with including shortcuts um and i always that's kind of one of those design things that i was talking about you come across one and you're just like oh wow that's a really smart way to handle getting out of here um and there are a few traversal mechanics like i mentioned earlier um items you'll pick up or or spells or abilities that help you navigate and get around through the map um and once you get one i you'll frequently find yourself like you'll cross a path and you'll get the ability and then you're like oh that's why that thing from before is set up the way that it was um it's almost metroid like in a way of they they cordon off different areas perfectly um knowing that you're about to get something that will allow you to get past it. Um, and they, they keep you on, it's very, uh, very purposeful the way that they keep you on the path, but then also allow you to, to backtrack and go to other areas that you couldn't access before without it really feeling all that roundabout. Uh, it, it's, it's a very well-designed game, um, in that way. Yeah. I noticed, uh, specifically i was playing uh, on the weekend i was playing on the xbox and uh kaden my oldest came into the room and he's like oh what are you playing and i was like oh i'm playing this new sea of stars game and he was he was kind of helping me like pointing out things in the dungeon and uh specifically to your point of like noticing things in the environment and and very specifically not being able to interact with it in any way but very clearly that thing is attached to some sort of progression piece and I remember Caden saying, like, well, what are you supposed to do with these big, giant green blocks? And I'm like, well, I'm not sure. I thought maybe I forgot how to push things, uh, like there was a button I was forgetting. Uh, but that wasn't the case. And in that specific instance, you found, like, a a, a bracelet or something that allowed you to, to uh, sort of do bursts of wind, which allowed you to move these giant blocks around. Um, there is no push uh, button but you do eventually get like a sort of a burst uh button so like that was one of those instances where i was like okay like looking out for that you very clearly see like some paths that are a little f out of reach and it's like okay something i'm gonna get something here that's gonna allow me to do uh, interact with these soon and i found that like the way the levels were designed you 
you could tell right away where you needed to go and what you needed to do. I never really felt lost. Uh, the game is, and some might be like, oh man, that sounds super linear. And it's like, yeah, it, it's fairly linear, but I think like it's, it was very fun to play, you know, like I, I've, I've had a really, really good time with it. Um, and I mean, before we talk about combat, I think it's probably, I'm very guilty of this, of talking about a game that I enjoy and then like not starting with, well, what's, what's this game? What's so like, the game? <laughs> what's the game? So Sea of Stars, we talked about it being like this throwback. Um, even the story is very much a throwback to those like 90s RPGs. You've got uh, a world that is on the constantly on the brink of chaos. Uh, there is the good guys and there is the bad guys. The bad guys are monsters, uh, literally. The good guys are these heroes that are, you know, trained legends and um, they're born on specific solstices or something and then they become solstice warriors so you know you might be hearing me describe this and like oh yeah i played that on the super nes in the 90s that was a was a really good rpg uh no this just (laughs) just came out on everything uh switch playstation xbox and steam um and essentially that's the story is like you have your two main characters they are uh they they they're recruited not recruited but they are brought into this uh training program that lasts 10 years and it's a solitary experience in the clouds where you're in this basically like this school up in the clouds <laughs> learning how to sew sewing very important uh the dialogue is all really well written and i i love that moment where they're like yes you are going to sew and you are going to hate it it's going to be incredibly boring and they're like, well, how long are we going to have to do this? And it's like, well, you're just going to have to do it until it works. You'll you'll know. Uh, evidently, it takes 10 years. That's how long it took. Um, and then eventually, eventually the, the one of them does do it. They're like, I think this is it. I think I finally did it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm 27 hey. now, but I think I finally got it. <laughs> Look, sewing's no easy feat, right? And uh, essentially, I think what they're doing is they're some sort of uh, cloth or tapestry that they're making that that gives them parts of their powers. Mm. It's again, like it's, it's all it's, it, the story. It makes sense when you're playing it, but like to try to explain it is like, well, there are two characters. One's born on the summer solstice. One's born on the winter solstice, I think. And that gives them one sun powers and one moon powers. And they have one has orange hair and one has blue hair and, and essentially their their whole adventure kicks off because they are trying to destroy the last dweller, which is the big bads. And it's going to be their task to take care of the, the last known dweller. So like that's how the story sort of unfolds. And the adventure leading up to that is a little bit like, how do we get to this place by the time the 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 solstice happens? Because that's when their powers are strongest. Um, I'm not going to get much further into the story there because like that is that is like I think as far as I've played about the first 10 hours or so. And from what I understand, it's about a 20 hour experience if you're kind of like poking around in all the corners of the game. Uh, you finished it, though, right, Travis? I I did. Um, and you're probably looking more like 30 to 35 hours, I would say, to finish it. Um, I probably went a little slower than most, but it, it's a much um, it's a much bigger game than it has any right to be at, from the perspective of, you know, you're looking at it as, oh, this is just an indie game. This is just a title that we threw on on the subscription services. Um, but, I mean, it's legitimately a full, you know, like triple A, maybe double A if you 
whatever, um, you know, but it's a full 30 ish hours experience, I would say. Um, and to, to just comment on what you were saying about the story and the writing, it's, it's one of those, um, <laughs> like you said, you feel like you're talking nonsense when you're trying to explain it, but it, it is a very fun, um, sort of nineties, like this is just fun in the moment. Don't think about it too hard stories. Just go along for the ride and enjoy it. Um, I, I think that's, uh, how I had a lot of fun with it. Um, and that's, I guess that's sort of how I would describe it. It's also, um, it is a prequel to the messenger, uh, which was another, mm. another sort of, uh, I don't even know how to describe it without getting too detailed or spoilery. It's like an old school sort of throwback to Ninja Gaiden, right? Yeah. Uh, with, with platforming elements, but it also has both a, 8-bit and 16-bit style, uh, which is, that's about all that I'll say about that, but just that the game has different ways to play it. Um, so there are some wrinkles in there. It's not like just a platformer. Um, but the writing is very amusing as well. And being as it's a prequel to that and developed by the same team, um, you'll find the same kind of tongue-in-cheek writing. So if you're familiar with The Messenger, what that game was like, um, You'll you'll feel right at home here, and that'll give you an idea what you can expect from Sea of Stars dialogue and uh, and storytelling. I really enjoy the writing. I find it is funny when it's trying to be funny. Um, I read all of it, and uh, it's it's very rare that I find myself doing that. You know, like there's no voice acting. Um, it is all written word, and it's all really good. Like I, I've had no issues with the dialogue, no issues with the way the story is presented, and it's it's very quick paced. It's very quickly paced. Um, they sort of sprinkle in uh, fully animated cutscenes as well uh, that are sort of a throwback to what you might see, you might remember seeing like in like '90s cartoons, but again, modernized. Like it's not like grainy four by three video. It's it is it is what you would expect from a modern video game, and. You know, this this Sea of Stars game specifically is like I was really surprised that it was coming out on both subscription services because it's like this is a kind of game that you would normally find existing on its own and would avoid a subscription service at launch. Um, but I, I also appreciate the fact that they, you know, they had a Kickstarter and they probably want to like maximize the amount of people that that saw this at launch. And I think it was probably uh Obviously, it was their decision to put it on on the subscription service services, but like, yeah, it's uh, it is it is such a great game. And I mean, the one thing we haven't talked about yet, and I think it's because it's what makes the game so great, is the combat. Uh, we haven't talked about the combat yet, specifically because you know that's probably where we're going to gush the most in my mind because it is some of my favorite RPG combat. It's turn based. Um, it is action based. So like Super Mario RPG is my big that's my I cannot wait for that remake. It's one of my favorite games. Um, and I was actually going to replay it before they a announced the remake. And then B, someone told me Sea of Stars is basically Super Mario RPG without Mario. And <laughs> to be frank, Super Mario RPG really, if you were, it is more a square game than it is a Mario game. There's Mario, Bowser and Peach and the Toads, obviously, in Super Mario RPG. But really, the rest of it is is mostly square. Like, there is just a sprinkling of Nintendo. I mean, Mario, you put Mario in it, it's like, that's a big part of it, don't get me wrong. But when you play that game and you're like, try to compare that to 
what we know of Mario now. It's it's more it's more square. It's Mario in Square's world, basically. Um, but with Sea of Stars, like it takes that gameplay, you know, setup of like action based combat where you are having to hit the A button to do additional damage or to do follow up attacks to defend, um, having to do specific button prompts for uh, special moves uh, where it's less of just like selecting a, a move and sitting back and watching the sort of animation play. This isn't Pokemon. This isn't, you know, more older school Final Fantasy games. This is an action based action turn based game where you are having to pay attention to the move you select and then having to do the motion to get the maximized uh, um, damage in there. So I've really enjoyed the combat. And as you said, Travis, they kind of modernize in a way where, uh, for example, one of the biggest things is like you see the enemies on screen, all the enemies for the most part that you're going to fight. There are occasionally enemies that will walk in from off screen to, to join their friends in combat. But for the most part, you are walking in the environment, you see the enemies, you have the opportunity to do a surprise attack, to do additional damage, uh, and get some live mana, which we'll come back to. Uh, but when you finish combat, there's no like, you know, combat screen, there's no combat shift to a sort of a different plane that you would see from like, you know, 90s video games. The combat starts where you started it, ends where you ended it, and it's just you're right back into the flow. There's no there's no loss of momentum there. And it's just so cool. Like, honestly, like they've really taken that idea and, and ran with it and just like, let's smooth out all of the stuff that folks wouldn't have been able to smooth out or wouldn't have thought to smooth out, you know, when, when these games came out in the nineties. Um, so combat has just been awesome. And we've only just scratched the surface in that sort of descriptor there, but like Travis, what do you think uh, about the combat? Like, Obviously, there's more wrinkles that we haven't talked about yet in terms of how combat works. But um, did you did you really enjoy that sort of action turn based setup? I did. I liked it a lot. And I, I remember I, like you, played Super Mario RPG back in the SNES days. And I remember the first time that I played that game thinking like this, <laughs> this is just like revolutionary that I can I can hit a button when my character goes to attack and Mario will punch him twice instead of just once. Like that was like the coolest thing ever when I was in sixth grade or whatever, whatever it was when that game came out. Um, and then it like never happened again um, for a long time. And there have been some games since then. I don't mean literally never, but um, it really wasn't a thing for the most part in the PlayStation area era or the end of the SNES era. Um, and I feel like it's only more recently that we've kind of gone back to that and tried to include that in more games. So um, it's something nice. Like, it's not really that big of a deal, but it is something else that keeps you engaged with turn-based combat. And I think now that we're in a time when games like Final Fantasy are moving to more action-based combat, uh, if you're going to go with a turn-based system, it's good to have some extra hook to keep people engaged while the terms or while the turns are playing out. Um, so yeah, I did enjoy that aspect of it. Um, and you know, Ryan, you alluded to some of the other wrinkles. Um, one of the things we haven't mentioned yet um, is the lock system, and this is something that's kind of similar to a game like Octopath Traveler, where you have to hit an enemy with a certain type of weapon. Um, and it's, it's very essential in Octopath. It's not quite such a big deal 
in in Sea of Stars. Um, but it does give you this aspect of of tactics and strategy to consider as you're planning out your attacks. So you have a max of three different characters in in any combat, and each one has a, a particular weapon that they have. Like um, the the female character has a uh, a staff that she'll use, and the male character has a sword. And then in addition to whatever type of weapon they have, there's usually some kind of affinity, like an elemental affinity um, that goes with that. So the the girl has access to moon powers where the boy has access to sun powers. Um, there are other characters later on that have like arcane and poison, etc. So you end up having, you know, around, you know, six or so different types of um, attacks that you'll have access to. And at any given time, one of these enemies, whenever they're casting an ability, um, they'll get some locks that'll come up. And if you attack, there's a timer for how many turns you have before their spell will go off. So if you attack through each one of the locks with whatever type of weapon it goes with, you'll interrupt them and stun them so they won't be able to get that, that ability off. Um, so there is that kind of element of strategy. You can ignore it to a some degree if you want. Um, you're just going to take a lot more damage because you're, you're getting hit more with more powerful abilities. Um, but, and, and sometimes there will be times when you look at it and go, well, I'm never going to get through this and interrupt this guy. I'm better off just going all out on a different enemy that maybe I can take out before it attacks rather than trying to interrupt the power move that the first enemy is trying to do. Um, and there's also the aspect of like Ryan was talking about earlier, your timed hits. Um, if you successfully do the timed attack, you'll hit twice. So you can take out two locks on one turn instead of just one. Um, so that does, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's not really super complicated, but it's just enough to, to keep your brain working and also to keep you mechanically engaged. Um, so I, I thought that was a really interesting wrinkle as well. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, have you had much, <laughs> much experience with that, or what? What is your uh, your strategy been with enemies who are using locks? Uh, well, I I love the lock system in the sense that it gives you the idea of like it gives you the ability to um, interrupt attacks. So I find that your characters are attacking more than the enemies are if you're playing into that lock system strategically. And I've had moments where the enemy had just not attacked at all in combat. I, I was able to strategically take out enemies that weren't using the lock system, weren't doing powerful attacks, and stun slash you know, interrupt uh, other characters that were using the lock system. So I really like it. It doesn't give you... You don't do any additional damage um, in the moment by bursting the lock. You really just interrupt their attack, which is critical for bosses. Like I, I'm pretty sure some bosses... You know, I'm not bragging here, but like some bosses, I probably didn't even see some of their moves because I was able to lock them or uh, burst their locks through the entire bits of combat. Um, so there, it, it adds that layer of strategy that I don't normally see in turn-based RPGs because I'm not like min-maxing my skills and my armor and my weapons and stuff. I'm just kind of going with the flow. So I really feel like this lock system in its where it's put kind of feeds into how like my brain would like to play strategically. Like I don't want to worry about what some spells do, whether they do more damage or not. I just want to like 
I know I want to hit everybody with this moon power, so I'm going to do the moon boomerang thing and kind of hit as many folks as possible to break their moon locks um, and go about it that way. The other system that's in there is like the live mana system. So when you do it like just a generic hit on an enemy, your normal attack, you will generate this live mana that sort of like sits on the battlefield. And then you can hold the R button, at least on the Xbox, hold the R button to absorb that live mana and then augment your attack with your uh, element. So for example, and that feeds into the lock system. So you kind of want to have some live mana sitting around, especially in bigger boss fights, because you want to have that ability to be like, okay, I don't have enough uh, mana points to use a skill here. So I'm going to augment my normal attack to take out two hammer locks and a moon, you know, that's on the lock just by absorbing that live mana. So it adds yet another wrinkle to the combat. Um, and we, and I don't, and it is a bit of a spoiler to say that you get more than three party members, but the way they handle party members is another example of like, it would never have worked this way in the nineties. <laughs> uh, you can swap mid combat and that character has the health and mana points that they would have. It's all separate pools. Of course, that's that's standard, but the ability to swap mid combat to use uh, specific skills or take out specific locks without it hampering your turn. It essentially takes over that person's turn and you can swap on the fly. No problems. And that is such a, uh, like a cool feature that normally wouldn't be in there maybe for technical reasons, but more so in my mind, because it makes it so easy, you know, cause you can not easy, but it like hard mode would be like, Nope, you should have brought your poison element in here. <laughs> you you should have known that because we are in like a garden that is filled with poison. Like, what were you thinking? I can you know? tell you all about hard mode. Uh, <laughs> after this part, if you want to hear about how this game handles hard mode. Oh, does it? Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah, it's it's an interesting thing that I, I feel like it it merits uh, discussion for anyone who's like, oh, this sounds very simple. Um, so I'll, I'll touch base on that after we, we finish the, the basic combat. But yes, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So well, that's interesting. But like, I, I find that, um, and then there's the one other thing where it's uh, combos. So all of all of the characters have like these combo abilities. You build up your combo meter. You can max it at three, and then you can do these combo attacks that basically like uh, take up one character's turn, but give a, an additional character a bonus action. Which again leads it all leads into the um, the lock system. So you can use those combos to break additional locks that you wouldn't have normally had time to do. Um, and of course, this is all strategic based on like what you have built up over time in that specific piece of combat because the live mana and the combos reset with every battle. Uh, the only thing that's sort of consistent between battles is your HP and uh, MP levels. So the combat is like, again, like all of those features have made combat fairly straightforward. I don't want to go like and say it's easy, but it's been straightforward and I've been able... I've been able to make my way through it without many issues and I've just been having fun, which is my like biggest thing. Like I have struggled with Starfield. I've struggled with Baldur's Gate, even though I'm very much enjoying it, but sea of stars has not been, there's been no struggle to it. And there was a reason 
I held off on playing it until now because I knew based on what you were saying, what Whirlwind was saying, that like once I started playing it, I would, would not want to stop. And it would become a thing, you know, like I would not have been able, I would have had to beat it before I played Starfield. So I was like, no, I'm going to wait until I know nothing's going to interrupt it. We're taking next week off. So I have all next week to play this and finish it, <laughs> you know, plenty of time. Uh, I, I play it on the, I, I'm playing it on the Xbox. I've uh, streamed it over Xbox cloud on the Steam Deck. It works great. Like I've just, I'm just having a blast with it. And I love the characters. I love our two main characters. I love Garl. He's amazing. Mm. Like Garl is probably my favorite character in the whole game because he's just like, he's for this adventure, even though multiple people are reminding him, like kind of keeping him down, like kind of saying like, no, you don't have special powers. You can't come. And he's like, no, I, I know how to cook. I know how to uh, make a, a sweet campfire. Like these are things you need when you're adventuring. Garl is the Samwise Gamgee of Sea of Stars. Like he's just this wholesome buddy character who's like, you're not leaving without me. Like I'm coming yeah. whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah, he is amazing. He's my favorite character. And um, the fact that you kind of alluded to there being other characters, um, I have recruited at least one additional character. But if there are more, like I'm for that. Like I'm honestly like I... I just love the way they've set it up. I know you probably couldn't do more than five characters. Like, is is there more than four? Because I've only got four right now. Um, there are six in total, oh, but wow. they're they're not all necessarily present at the same time. Yeah, I did get the sense that. Well, yeah, there are six slots actually. Now that I recall, um. But there were moments when the fourth character was introduced where they they were kind of like bouncing back and forth. Although I do have my the four characters like there, um, but yeah, it, it is a it is a treat. So I mean, if you have um, if you're if you, anything we've said has has interested you, I think you definitely need to check this one out. Although before we move on, you had mentioned hard mode. I'm afraid <laughs> to add, like you probably had to do this to get the platinum. I'm I'm assuming right. Yeah. Um, so there's, this is primarily something you would want to use in new game plus. Um, so I originally brought this up because I, I was going to say if all of this sounds too simple and easy, um, because we, we keep the point we keep driving home is like, it's a very intuitive, straightforward, you just turn it on and play it kind of game. So if you're somebody that likes the complexity of a Baldur's gate, um, or Starfield or something that's that's more complicated. You're not you're not going to get there with this. Um, but towards the end of the game, uh, Ryan, we didn't really talk about the is it relics. Is that what they're called? Um, yeah, I don't remember what they're called. So they're they're basically toggle on and off options that modify the game in some way. Like one of them, we talked about the time hit timed hits. Um, there's a relic that you pick up, and you don't have to equip these. They just kind of appear in your menu once you acquire them. And for example, one of them, when you turn it on, whenever you successfully do a timed hit or timed defense, um, like a little shooting star will come up from, from, from your weapon. Um, and that's in order to teach you the timing. Um, so you can turn that on or off. I just left it on because we, I just didn't feel the need to go back in and turn it off. Um, but I found it helpful to, to, to know by the animation, like, did I do that right or not? Um, there's another one that will bump your HP back up to full after every battle, etc. Most of them are positive. Um, 
This game does have a very extensive post game. Um, and I, I'm not going to get into spoilers, so I won't talk too much about it, but it, it is worth doing. Um, when you, I would say when you roll credits the first time, don't think of that as being done um, because there is enough to do some of it. Like if you're trying to find all of the chests and things like that, that can be a little bit tedious, but there are story elements that occur after the credits. Um, and it it's woven in narratively in a correct way, um, in a fulfilling way. So if you want to chase more after credits, feel free to do so. If you want to, if you want to stop there, fine. It is a story on its own. Um, but much, much like Chrono Trigger, where there are all these sort of character driven vignettes, um, towards the end of the game, this, this kind of thing happens post game in Sea of Stars. Um, and if, depending on what you do, there are different rewards that you'll get post game. All that said, this, this originally stemmed from the hard mode, um, commentary towards the end of the game, you will acquire a relic, um, that will cut your health by 95%. Uh, no big deal, right? Just, no, well, that's a huge <laughs> deal. <laughs> that's 95% um, the, of a deal, man. Yeah, yeah. So it cuts your health by 95%. The caveat is then if you successfully time a defense, it only does one damage. Oh. But you only have like 10 hit points. So if you don't, (laughs) I'm exaggerating with 10. So if you screw it up, uh, you're very close to dead, if not just straight up dead because you didn't time it correctly. Um, So if you like a little bit more of a challenge, play the game until you acquire that and then try it. Um, because at that point, the time to text become very important. And, oh yeah, the other little wrinkle with that is if enemies have locks, they take zero damage. So you cannot damage an, an enemy unless you clear all the locks. So you've got the pressure of you have 20 hit points, and if you don't block it, you only have 20 hit points, so you're probably going to die. Uh coupled with you can't do damage (laughs) until you clear all the locks. Um, So that's how they kind of, honestly, if you do it in new game plus, you get it so late in the game, it's really not that big of a deal. Um, If you do it in new game plus, because you've out leveled a lot of things. So there's a little more leeway than it sounds like, but if you want to make it more difficult and uh, add complexity and sort of force yourself to engage with those other systems, that's a way to do it. Um, so I, I don't know. It was kind of a neat thing that they incorporated. Just it's not actually a hard mode, but it certainly makes things more challenging and forces you to engage with the systems or you're not going to be successful. So if you're up for a challenge, that's one way that you can go about getting it. Interesting. Uh, I, I would, uh, <laughs> I would advise people not to do that. That does not sound like fun, but as you said, uh, if you if you feel like it's too easy, that's one way to make it a little more difficult and and maybe a little maybe a little less fun, even if you are very good at time based combat. And um, those relics, I think I've only found one, and it is the show HP of enemies, which uh, I've I've found to be uh, super helpful, especially with with uh, trying to strategize. So I think there are some in there that are like you can you can not equip it and it does make it a little more difficult to judge who you need to target sooner rather than later in terms of of health you could have someone sitting there with 4 hp and like they just you just thought oh they they're probably they're probably not ready to go 
just yet, but um, I haven't found any others. And I'm sure it sounds like there are others that are like quality of life or like little added perks that are not necessary. But I, uh, I think there was, I, but yeah, I only have the one. I must have missed do you, some. Do you, do you not have the one where your your health refills after battle? No, I don't. I only have the one, yeah. I thought that one was like story related. Um so there's a shop just to <laughs> quickly not to derail it too much, but the um the town where you get on the boat, the port town, um I don't remember the name, but it's literally called the port town of yeah, something or yeah. <laughs> there's a shop towards like the southern end of the map that sells a couple. So that might be where, where that one is, but it, it's pretty early in the game that you can get that one. Okay, cool. Yeah. And you know, this whole conversation about hard mode kind of reminded me of another feature that I really like. Um, and then we'll move on. But I feel like, uh, uh, one of the core components of an RPG is like when one of your characters dies or faints or loses all their HP, you have to use an item mm. to revive them. In this game, I love the implementation because it's like you get knocked out and your character has like two stars circling around their head. And essentially, when each round goes by, a star is removed. And once the final star is gone, your character comes back up with half HP. And I love that mechanic because it kind of feeds into the, you know, just got to survive one more round and then one my other character is going to pop back up. You can't swap them out when they're knocked out. Once they're knocked out, you have to wait until they've they've been revived uh, to come back. I don't even think you can give them health. I haven't tried that. No, I don't think, and I, it it didn't happen that often because it's it's not a terribly difficult game um, f- for the most part. So I didn't experience a whole lot of of being knocked out. It you know it happened from time to time, um, but I didn't speak for yourself. I I had people yeah, knocked out all the time. Well, whenever Travis you Travis is very good at this game. I'm I'm not. Um, that that relic that restores your health is is a big deal. Uh-huh. <laughs> so like I mean, imagine going into every battle with full health instead of having to heal all the time. Um, so that makes a huge difference. Um, anyway. It uh, so I th- that being said, I've never really tried um, to revive anyone or give them health while they were down um, just because it, it wasn't that much of an issue where it does become a really big deal, though. And this is where I think the implementation is great, is that when especially with bosses where you have complicated locks that you need to break through or, you know, someone will take very little damage while they have locks or they're going to revive another part of a boss or something like that unless you break the locks. Having one of your party members down is really problematic because then you don't have time, you don't have enough attacks to get through the locks before the ability goes off for one. Or maybe the boss has poison locks and only one of your characters has a poison ability and that's the one that's down. Um, And then you just, you can't do anything about it. You have to wait two rounds until that particular character comes back. Um, So there is... I think it's implemented very, very well um, in that it's not a huge hindrance like it can be in other games, but it's enough that you want to make sure it doesn't happen in any important battles anyway. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, if you have a character that because each character is has a specific element, like if if the moon element character goes down, you don't have another character that can do moon damage. Right. So, no, that's a good point. Uh, 
yeah, I I don't have the relic that revives health, and and honestly, it would probably like it just it removes the ability like it add it removes the ability of you having to like remember oh I gotta like rest at camp because the game is very forgiving in the sense of like if you do die in combat, um, this is an issue I had with the demo where I died at a boss fight and there was no checkpointing in the demo. It just like kicked me back to the last time I saved. There is checkpointing in the main game and it's fairly decent, you know, like you might have to redo a couple of fights like, uh, you know, mobs or whatever. Uh, but it, it's okay. Um, but I find like when you revive, you get your full health back and, uh, you can, there's no, there's no punishment for resting, um, at the various camps you find along the way where you can cook food. I never had an issue. There's a cooking mechanic where you find like ingredients along the way. I've never had an issue where I didn't have enough ingredients to cook some of the best food to, to revive or to give my characters more HP or, or mana points as well. So like it's, it's very balanced in a way it's almost balanced to a point where it's like, it's balanced in, in, in the more positive column in the sense of like, it's not, it's not punishing you. It's if anything, it's giving you more than you need to survive. Uh, it's almost like I know I'm describing it. It kind of sounds like they've they've more leaned towards like the more easy side of things, which I appreciate because I'm having a blast with it. But for folks who do want to have like a more um, difficult time or or to have the combat be a little more difficult, like there are systems there that you can engage with to make it a little more difficult. Um, and I'm sure there are achievements tied tied to it or whatever. Uh, but I've really appreciated how, how much work they've put into this game to make it, um, more approachable and frankly, more, more fun, uh, with those systems. So I agree. I think playing through it, that's something that was pretty apparent to me is just that I I don't want to say they tried to make an easy game. Um, I think they just, they wanted to make a game that people could just pick up and play and enjoy. Um, And they wanted it to be, like you said, approachable to as wide an audience as, as possible. And I think they were, they were very successful in that. Um, I'll, I'll look up the location of that, (laughs) that thing offline and, uh, and message you here later um, when we are finished with the show. Cause that's, um, I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that'll make a pretty big difference in, um, in how you're able to, to get through. And it's not, it's not even that it makes the game easier. It's kind of just a quality of life thing, because as you pointed out, there are many campfires all over the place. And what having this relic does is it essentially takes away the need for you to run back to camp after every fight. Um, so I guess what I'm getting at is like, if you feel like you're cheating or whatever, it's, it's not so much that it's because they, they give you a method to get your health back after every battle. It's just, you got to walk, um, and you got to spend time doing it. Whereas if you have this relic on, um, you know, it's the quality of life of just, you can just go forward instead of having to run back to the, the campfire. And to clarify with the campfires, this is not a dark souls situation. Um, resting at the campfires does not bring back enemies, uh, so there's really, like Ryan said, there's no punishment or there's no drawback to doing it as as often as you need to. Yeah, uh, it's a very forgiving game. Uh, it's very fun. Definitely check it out. Uh, if you're not going to check it out on uh, the various uh, subscription services we talked about, I believe it is a $40 US game uh, if you're purchasing on Steam. I know it's 
uh, yeah, it might actually be cheaper than that. It's $45 Canadian on Steam. I don't know what that works out to be American, but I feel like it's probably... Well, you can get it cheaper if you have um, the Messenger as well on, on Steam. So there you so go. So Sea of Stars is on Steam right now in the U.S. for $35. Okay. There I think go. it's available on Switch too, but I'm not 100% sure. It is on Switch, yeah. Um, I don't know how much it is. But I think it might be f- more expensive on Switch. It's probably 50 on Switch if I would if I would yeah. guess. I'm, uh, I'm going to look that up as well. So, yeah. Oh, it is. It's thirty-five on Switch. That's American. So, uh, that's not too bad. So you got. So it's probably equal pricing. Forty-five dollars uh, Canadian, thirty-five dollars American. It's available on Switch, uh, Steam. Oh my gosh, I'm looking at the um, the eShop page. <laughs> I got to mention this. It is. It is the artwork for the game. It's the characters for the game, but the artwork artwork's done in like that that traditional sort of nineties RPG concept art mm. look. And a man, that's, that's some nostalgia <laughs> right there. Very cool. That is so cool. Okay. Definitely play sea of stars. Uh, and I think a game that, uh, that Travis is going to tell us not to play is Gotham Knights. Cause you did that for extra life just recently. I did. Yeah. So, uh, whirlwind, my, my TGI co-op partner and I, um, we did an extra life stream on Friday nights or on Friday night last week for Gotham nights. And, um, you know, it's, I think we each paid $20 for it and it's a perfectly fine, uh, $20 co-op game. (laughs) Yeah. Um, much beyond that solo, I probably would not play it, but you know, if you want to be, not you Batman. Can't, you can't even be Batman. Yeah, if you want to be not <laughs> Batman with your buddy, uh, then that's that's the way <laughs> the way to go. Not um, Batman with your buddy. If it, if yeah. we were going to focus on Gotham Knights and we didn't spend fifty minutes talking about Sea of Stars, I would have that would have been the title of the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the reason I brought it up not to not to rub it in your face that you play Gotham Knights, uh, but it was for charity. It was for Extra Life. Uh, you can go to bit.ly slash TGI Extra Life twenty twenty three. Check out the team. Donate if you can. Uh, and this Gotham Knights stream that Travis did is one of many streams that we're planning throughout the rest of the year. And I know this isn't the only stream that you've done. You you played uh, Jedi Survivor. Um, I feel like there might have been another one in there that I'm forgetting. Did you? Was there another game that you played this year for Extra Life? Uh, yeah, I did Final Fantasy 16 for the first two nights right. that I released. I, did, I didn't do the whole thing just because that was a pretty big undertaking and a lot of people were busy around that time of year. Um, but yeah, I wanted to have an opportunity for people to see what that game was about if they were interested, but not sure if they wanted to buy. So seemed like a good title for, for Extra Life. But if we can, um, you know, if if we can make Gotham Knights fun... Um, you know, we, we're going to have a great time with pretty much any stream we do. So uh, feel free to come by, hang out, um, help support the kids if you're able to donate. And uh, if not, then just be a part of the crew and uh, and enjoy being part of the community. Yeah. Now, we, we love doing Extra Life every year. Uh, so the next event that we're going to tease, uh, and we're going to scoop uh, my other podcast, uh, Dungeons and Diapers. Sorry, Crofton. We'll talk about it there as well. But uh, we have finally, <laughs> after months of discussions <laughs> in our Avendads uh, group on Discord, we've sorted out what we're going to be doing for our Avendads event this year. And I really like this theme. And um, it 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 really goes back to um, 
some initial ideas we were throwing out there. We were we were thinking, oh, maybe we'll play Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Maybe we'll play Sackboy. Uh, that being said, we're not playing Sackboy for Avendads, but we are going to play on game day. I have that was the olive branch I extended to <laughs> you and Whirlwind. <laughs> I'm like, well, we're not going to do that because Crofton doesn't want to buy the game and or figure out how to resubscribe to PlayStation Plus. Uh, that's a joke. He he has a card. He's good. Nor did he want to create a Sackboy account. He didn't want to have to. Go no, that. <laughs> uh, this isn't a Square Enix account situation, but um, we are doing uh, a Vendad's N64 war. Uh, that is going to be our event this year. All of us have uh, we're part of a, a Nintendo expansion pass online family account. So we all have access to it. The N64 games have online multiplayer. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun? And I was kind of going back and forth with Crofton on this and Crofton kept coming back to like, well, we have this N64 expansion pass. We should do something with it. And I thought, okay, like, let's lean into that. Let's do a competition. Everyone loves bragging rights. That's what we're going to play for. Uh, And we are going to do this event Friday, October 13th, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can check it out at tiny.cc slash watch event ads. And of course, donate bit.ly slash TGI extra life 2023. And we are going to be playing various N64 classics, uh, GoldenEye 007, Mario Party, Mario Kart, all online. Uh, Whirlwind and I will be playing on our N64 controllers because uh, we, we, were, we bought those. <laughs> uh, so we might as well use them. Dust so them off. You were you were the guys. It was you. You were the two that bought them. <laughs> well, they, no, they they're actually, always they sold, sold out. out, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're always sold out. I mean, I only bought one. I'm pretty sure Whirlwind bought four. So, uh, not to out them or anything, but uh, I guess I just did. So, yes, Avendads N64 War. If you can't tell, there's a bit of a trend. That's you know, we've got Avengers Infinity War. I'm really excited for this one. Um, obviously, you and I and. Crofton and Whirlwind, uh, we have to do some testing and, and kind of iron out how the games are going to work. But I feel like it's it's a lock. We'll do some GoldenEye. We'll do some uh, Mario Kart 64. And we will fit in uh, the shortest board we can find for Mario Party. That's <laughs> and I, I have not played any of these games because I did not have an N64. And Crofton has assured me that he is the king of GoldenEye. True. So, I, I mean, he stopped like just shy of a come at me bro type situation uh, <laughs> yeah. in the event heads chat. So I, I am really looking forward to getting absolutely wrecked for charity uh, with some N64 games that uh, a, a 20 some odd year vet like Crofton uh, is just going to rain down his wrath upon my newbie self. So should be a great time for you guys to watch. Yeah. We're going to have a lot of fun with that one. We'll chat more about that on dungeons and diapers. And of course, leading up to the event Friday, October 13th, that's our next streaming event. Definitely check it out. Uh, we would love to have you in chat and, um, we'll likely be doing some testing cause we want to make sure it all works, but it should be fine. I, I feel like, uh, I, I feel like all that will work. And if it doesn't work, it'll be fun either way. Cause, uh, you know, we played Avengers our first year, and uh, <laughs> some things went wrong. And we got lost for an hour and a half in Sea of Thieves last year. Oh, so that's right. It'll be, it'll be a good time no matter what. So if anything, that's the trend we have to continue. <laughs> I'll, I'll get lost in GoldenEye, and Crofton will be right behind me, I'm sure. <laughs> it would be so funny that like this is the one 
that in my mind is the most complex in terms of like jumping between games. And uh, but the, the really interesting part that I've seen about um, the the way Nintendo implements online is it's not by game. It's a lobby and you all play together. And I think you follow a leader through the games that you're playing. So it's like a really interesting setup because if you have a subscription, everyone has access to the same game. So like, it's not like all of us have to make sure we have GoldenEye installed. It's just, it's already there. So we'll run some tests, but I, I feel like it's really, it, it, this one's set in stone. So event ads, the next event ads, Friday, October 13th, we're going to be playing a bunch of N64 games. So check that out. Uh, I also want to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash the gamers in want to give a shout out to our September patron ridiculous hat. Thank you so much for being a patron. And uh, if you want to get a shout out all month long in October, go to patreon.com slash the gamers in and support the show directly. Now, uh, the news, a lot of news, some big news to discuss this week. It should surprise nobody what we're going to talk about. But before we get to that, we have an update from last week's episode, uh, <laughs> and you you can definitely call it an episode. Um, Unity had that whole like runtime installation fee policy, and uh, there hasn't been a lot of updates since then. But the one update is basically Unity has said like, "Hey, we're sorry." Uh, they specifically said, "We apologize for the confusion and angst the runtime fee policy we announced on Tuesday caused," which is like it's such a weirdly worded thing like, just apologize like don't yeah. don't like put it on us like w- like we're confused <laughs> you know like it's our fault Apolo- apologize for what you did not for how we took it that's exactly the- yeah so it, it so they apologize they said they're going to be making some changes or listening to folks um now this article does say that like there what there's been meetings and such and nothing's been announced as to what those changes would be but they've talked about considering capping fees to 4% of a game's revenue for customers making over a million. Uh, additional installs that count towards reaching the threshold of fee enforcement won't be retroactive. So like they're not going to like apply this previous to 2024. Is this still a weird one? Like it's it's still like, look, like developers using their engine. We talked about this last week. There are a lot of engines out there. There's a lot of, you know, competition those engines don't charge this fee. So if I was a developer and I was looking at my options, I would look at my other, I would look at other options. Um, That's not an easy thing to do. If you have a team that is like solely devoted to, to building in unity, but you know, for smaller teams, it might be a situation where you look at it and be like, okay, well we'll wrap up this development with unity and then we'll move into a different engine. But like, you know, it's it's a it's a really weird one. I, I don't I get the sense from what they're talking about is that they're not going to walk it back completely. But, you know, they're going to find a part of this deal that keeps the runtime fee policy active, but they're going to just trim it down to minimize the amount of outrage out there. <laughs> not because it's the right thing to do, but to, just to minimize the rage. No, I, I agree. Um, it's uh it's an awkward situation for yeah, for sure. And it does make me wonder as quickly as these things can be walked back to some extent, did they just not consider it before they decided to make the announcement and roll out the plan? I mean, it just, 
this seems like something that was going like I guess the reaction was pretty foreseeable is what I'm getting at. Like this seems like something that would negatively impact a large portion of the community. So was it not considered properly prior to doing that or did they just not care or maybe they didn't care but now they do when they find out that people are going to be vocal about it. I'm not sure. Um but hopefully however they decide to modify it um, you know, obviously businesses need to run, need to make money, um, need to profit and satisfy shareholders, et cetera. So I understand where unity is coming from. Um, I would just hope and I, I would like to see them implement something that is satisfactory for them and their shareholders, as well as, um, <laughs> something that does not severely hinder, hinder indie developers in particular, um, not to make it sound like, yes, tax the rich and not the poor or anything like that. Um, but it, it this definitely seems geared towards more established companies. Um, and whenever you have small three-man teams that have been building in Unity for the past four years to try to get their game out, and then you then you tell them, hey, if you, if you actually sell it, um, <laughs> you're going to owe us a lot more. Uh, you know, that's a difficult challenge for them to overcome. And I, I don't want to see anyone's creativity or, or, or anyone's uh, dreams or projects stifled because of something they didn't see when they started. That's now just going to be crushing on their ability to market their product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it's, it's a wild one. Like I just find it is, um, it is part tone death and part, they they have they know what they they know the actual plan that they're going to implement they just uh they kind of started at a position it's like okay this is how we're going to walk it back and like the immediate outrage to what they initially announced reduces significantly when they appear to be making you know concessions with their plan and i think that's kind of what we're seeing they have walked it back on things like humble bundle as well right did the different charity organizations i think they said this would not apply for those yeah, sales they did but here's the thing like they're they've even stated this and i was like looking at there's no api there's no um there's no way for a game to kind of say like hey i was i was redeemed through a charity or i was you know they might be able to do that through um specific steam codes that they distribute to humble bundle and whatnot but like it's it appears to be based on self-reporting from the developer in terms of installs and whatnot, um, making it the first install basically makes it every time they've made a sale. So that's a right. lot easier to track than every install. So that's from a paperwork standpoint, that's a lot easier, but, but I've also heard that they're, this policy is more targeting like the bigger players, the folks that are making billions off of unity, like uh, Genshin impact, which is a unity mm. game. Um, when someone pointed that out on Twitter, it might have even been Jason Trier, I believe. Like, I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. They want to get more money from the folks that are making billions and not paying whatever they feel they should be paying. Like, I, I think all of this, all of this to be said, like, it's still a really crappy policy. It's a really crappy way of like rolling this out because it's not just the Genshin impacts of the world that use Unity, it is smaller teams, smaller games. Uh, so and this policy affects all of them so uh hopefully they're able to um either scrap it completely i don't think we're going to see that the guy running the company is 
not one to admit fault. And, you know, the CEO, he's ex-CEO of EA. EA really never admitted mistakes. They just kind of like, we're not talking about that error. We're, uh, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. Uh, we'll update if we have more uh, that has been said. But as of right now, it's still a policy that they're working towards. They're just going to make some changes. So we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on that one. But our main story, and it's evolved over the course of the day. So I'm going to start with where it ended. Uh, well, actually, I'm going to explain it, and then I'm going to start where it ended. Then we'll go through it. So essentially, this morning, early uh, this morning, like 2 a.m., there was a unredacted court document that it turns out Microsoft uploaded to the FTC's, well, not the FTC, but the the legal website I don't know which one it is, but like essentially where they they put all their court documents for, I'm assuming there's the appeal that's coming up that the FTC has filed. So Microsoft has put a bunch of documents up. And one of those documents was unredacted because essentially the judge said no more Sharpies Um, (laughs) because there was some issues with the redactions uh, previously. Um, Some were saying Microsoft went a little far and, you know, no more Sharpies. Well, they didn't redact anything in this document and it had quite a bit. Essentially, a majority of what Microsoft was planning for Xbox for the next seven years, which is, it's a lot. Um, Now, before we go through that, the caveat here is that Phil Spencer uh, issued a statement, both on Twitter and internally to staff, saying that, acknowledging that, yes, this happened, it was Microsoft's fault, Uh, we take, you know, our trade secrets very seriously and, you know, secrecy and all that. Uh, but essentially a majority of these documents come from a May, 2022 presentation and um, basically saying like, Hey, like we know this happened. Uh, you know, we, we all put incredible amounts of passion and energy into our work. And this is never how we want that hard work to be shared with the community, but also said basically, um, We've seen the conversation around old emails and documents. It is hard to see our team's work shared in this way. There's so much to be excited about right now and in the future. We will share the real plans when we are ready. So, like, it's not a no comment. It's an acknowledgement. But it's also him kind of walking it back a bit saying, like, you know, don't take this as gospel. This is something we pitched in 2022. Some of this stuff that we're going to talk about is more than likely to happen because it is it is in the near future. But like the further future, like some of the documents are more talking about like they're still looking at like chip uh, design and um, manufacturing for future future projects. So like stuff could have changed in the last year uh, and will probably change over the course of the next seven years. But essentially saying like, hey, don't take this as like this is exactly what's happening for the next seven years. This is just what we were planning in 2022. So that being said, Travis. Are you ready to dive into this huge amount of leaks? Almost to the point where I kind of, I kind of felt bad for Microsoft <laughs> a little bit. Like this is a big deal. It, yeah, it, it really, it really is. Um, and I, I guess just to comment on on Phil's comments, um, I, I think he's right here. Uh, I mean, the thing that the community and people need to understand is that companies, if there's anything in these emails that people don't like. Companies do have the right to like work through that stuff. Like they could have said something stupid or negative in 2021 or 2022 
And then they gradually realize that that's a bad idea and make changes and iterate. What What's important is it's not whether five years ago in development they did something that we don't like. It's where the product ends up. It's whether they end up in a place that's friendly for for consumers. So I think we should take anything that's in there that we don't like with a grain of salt, acknowledge that it happened, however, also understand that, as he said, that doesn't mean that's going to be the way that it is. And it, it is a creative process. You know, we don't arrive at the the Series X and the PlayStation 5 the day after someone suggests them. Um, you have to go through those growing pains to get to the final product. So uh, I, I think it was an appropriate response. Um, I also think it was at the same time a little bit hand wavy, like trying to, to downplay it and say like, oh, don't look over here. We weren't ready to share that. Um, but I, I also... The fact that they're not ready to share it doesn't mean they're trying to hide it. It just means that what they have in there is work in progress that they don't want people to see and overreact to and and not understand that that's not the finished product. Um, so, yeah, crazy day for news. I woke up this morning um, and our, our mutual friend uh, that that we've mentioned a few times today had sent me some of these articles and it was like, Oh, this would happen on the day that we're, that we're recording. <laughs> well, at least we'll have something to talk about. Um, so here we are, I guess I will, I'll hand it back to you. I have at least uh, browsed through most of these stories and uh, I'll let you sort of MC this one as to what you'd like to target and where you want to start. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's start with the stuff that is, more than likely to happen uh, in the near future, which is Microsoft's new diskless Xbox Series X design with a lift-to-wake controller. So a brand new Xbox controller they're calling codename uh, Sebel. And it kind of looks like a mix between the traditional Xbox controller and some of the elite controllers you've seen. It's definitely something that's going to target um, to replace the the current xbox controller but like some of the cool features that i saw with this controller is updated wireless technologies new bluetooth new direct cloud um seamless parent switch that's a big thing like what they're targeting here with this new controller is the xbox controller is already uniquely positioned as like kind of the default controller that people think to when they they look to um pc and other PC related uh, technology. Like it was only until very recently that the DualSense controller and even the Nintendo Switch Pro controller became like, hey, you can pair this with your computer, even though they've used Bluetooth for years. Uh, but Microsoft's looking to kind of take advantage of their still leading in the market of, of being the best controller to, to use on PC and kind of looking like, okay, like let's let's capitalize on this before it completely we lose it before we completely lose it, which I think is smart. Like, so they've talked about seamless parent switch. You'll be able to use the mobile app to like sync to your controller and determine like what pair of devices you have. Currently there's a bit of a shortcut on your Xbox series X controller. You can double tap on the sync button to switch between your console and a Bluetooth connection works. Not great, but it works. Uh, but yeah, this new controller seems like a natural sort of evolution for the Xbox controller. Like it's not changing the the look of the controller. It's just giving it more giving it more guts. 
you know, so to speak, and, and internal features. Um, but uh, the, the big thing is the discless Xbox Series X, and this is supposed to be sort of the mid-generation revision, not changing any of the internal guts. Like, it's not going to be more powerful. It's just going to have some additional uh, features. It's It's more of a cylindrical device think mac pro uh so you're not going to be putting this thing on its side <laughs> unless you want to <laughs> buy a new one um <laughs> but it has uh it'll it'll support wi-fi 6e bluetooth or uh, bluetooth 5.2 um and will essentially replace the series x the big thing here being discless though it's replacing the series s as well though isn't it uh that's a tough one like they've talked about um there being a series s revision as well and there was one just recently which i think they are sort of attributing to the fact that the series s in black one terabyte is the revision uh but there could be another revision on the way for the series s that just adds these additional um uh, wi-fi and connectivity stuff so the Series S will still exist, but the Series X, the new one, will replace the current X. Uh, and it will have two terabytes of internal storage up from the one terabyte. Um, but no no disk drive. And I know that has some folks worried, our mutual friend included, uh, who we will not name. We've named enough. Um, <laughs> and I had said, like, look, like, they, I know, I know they want to move to diskless. I get that. Um, but I feel like Microsoft of all folks will be will be fine to sort of support like an external drive, um, some sort of external drive for for discs. Uh, there was talk of Sony having the same thing with their PS4 Pro or PS sorry PS5 Pro, which has not been announced yet. But um, yeah, like I mean, if you look at Microsoft, it's almost like their best position for discless because they're really more or less a Game Pass machine, you know. Right. Um, for me, anyways. So, like, what are your thoughts on this new Series X that, that has been leaked? Yeah, so I, I think you're right. Um, but I also don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so I, I'm, I will admit that I am sort of resistant to change um, at, at times, particularly with these types of things. I think you're spot on with your comments that they're, a Game Pass machine. We've heard a lot about, you know, d- during the course of the um, the Blizzard acquisition or Activision acquisition, whatever, about uh, cloud gaming and how that's kind of a, became a focal point of of the uh, the investigations there for a while, and it became clear that that's an area that they're really trying to push. Um, that's that's the corner of the market that they're shooting for. And if that's the case, I suppose moving to this type of model is not harmful for them because that's the direction that they're taking their their platform or their products. Um, that said, I think that kind of pushes it a little more in a position where I look at it and go, uh, that's not really for me um, because I, I'm not down on cloud gaming. Um, I just... I'm not sure that that's where I want to be just yet. And if the plan, as it seems to be, is to just remove discs 
altogether, to not have any disc option at all. I don't really like the thought of forcing that on consumers. Um, I would have to think there would be users who would not like that, um, you know, collectors aside. Just your your general uh your your Xbox user version of me <laughs> I guess um because I'm somebody who you know I I of the current consoles um the Xbox is the only one that I don't have when I went with the PS5 I bought the disc version and a big part of that was just I want to be able to borrow games and I want to be able to buy used games I still buy probably 75 80% of my games I I buy digital um but I really like having that option to have the disc there and I've you know I do use it frequently so to me just the thought of like taking that choice away from the consumers is is a difficult pill to swallow for me maybe you know Microsoft has done their market research and they realize that x percentage of their users are game pass only and they're not buying games only so or not buying games anyway so it doesn't really affect them um but i just don't like uh i'm a little uncomfortable with trying to force that change rather than letting it happen organically by choice um and it kind of reminds me a little bit of the uh the the xbox one i'm trying not to say failures um but just when they came out with the whole like you know, we're going to have a family plan and you can sign up for users and you can borrow games from your friends digitally, but we're not going to do discs anymore and everything's going to have DRM and all of this kind of crazy nonsense. And then Sony came out and said, here's how you lend a game to your friend on PlayStation 4 and just handed a case to somebody. Um, like, the, I'm, I'm having, like, flashbacks of those moments, like... It it feels to me like <laughs> Xbox is trying to go back to the. Remember when we were gonna make you buy everything from the Xbox store and we were gonna have total control of everything? We're going back to that, but now we're kind of um, we're we're giving you that message under the guise of cloud gaming and in progress. So maybe the current Microsoft user base is more comfortable with that kind of thing than I am, and if that's the case, then. Um, you know, all the more power to them. If that's the business model that works for them and they can support it efficiently, that's great. Um, I just think that's, you know, I don't want to be told like you can only buy games from one place. I don't want to be that's, and I have, I struggle with that with the Sony marketplace because I love the convenience of buying digitally. Um, but I can't deny that Sony, Sony is the only provider of digital games on PlayStation. I can't, you know, I can't shop for a better sale from another provider to play on my PS5. I that, you know, they have total control of that marketplace. And if I'm not happy with their sale prices, I have to buy something, you know, I have to buy a disc secondhand, even if I'd rather have it digitally. Um, whereas if Microsoft makes the switch, if no Microsoft console will have a disc drive going forward, uh, you know, you're completely at there and, and i'm not saying they're being greedy or anything like that i i'm just stating the obvious that you won't have any other buying options um and i don't mm -hmm. necessarily think that's a great spot as a consumer so anyway that's long-winded uh and an overreaction i'm sure um but yeah it makes me a little bit squeamish to see that sort of like 
no more discs and uh, you don't have any say about it, Mr. Consumer. <laughs> yeah. Well, and here's the thing. This is a, um, this is a leaked presentation. It, it, if the presentation had like, hey, but don't worry, you'll be able to buy disc versions and um, run run the disc check through an external uh, external drive unit. Like that's not in there because that's not like the core part of the presentation. It might not even be a thing, but like, you know, keep in mind that when you put a disc into your system, yes, it is installing off the disc, but once it's installed, it's just a disc check every time you boot the game up. It's, it's in place of a licensing check if you were to buy it digitally. So like, from a technical standpoint, it wouldn't be impossible to incorporate support for like a external hard drive or external uh, disk drive. And, and that's not in there. That's not in this, these stories, but like, this is also not the way Microsoft wanted to unveil this stuff. And, and that goes back to Phil Spencer's sort of yep. statement. Now, that being said, uh, as we get a little further into the leaks with, uh, the next Xbox coming in 2028 is supposedly, according to these leaks, envisioning more of a hybrid computing model. So my understanding, what does that mean? Well, my understanding is that Xbox kind of ceases to be just a console and become more of a lean more into the ecosystem, you know, leaning more into more devices that support uh, Xbox games. You know, you have cloud gaming now, like leaning more into cloud gaming, which opens up your ability to run your Xbox games on your Steam Deck or maybe even a dedicated Xbox portal handheld device. There was a handheld that was sort of like thrown around. Um, But like it's it's kind of interesting where they are basically the whole thing boils down to like they aren't looking at just saying like yeah the next xbox in 2028 will just be another xbox they are looking to kind of shift towards more of a hybrid model of like yes there probably will be an xbox but they're going to lean more into like having xbox as as an ecosystem you know where you might be able to buy a streaming stick that you plug into your tv or buy a small handheld that can run the game's cloud, maybe even run them internally as well, depending on what type of game it is. But they are really focused on this um, sort of dedicated, like sort of hybrid cloud system. Um, To me, it's like, this was kind of the weirdest one for me because I'm like, I I really would just prefer to have like another Xbox. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, these plans are up in the air this is you know five years from now a lot can change a lot may not work in that time frame to as they head towards 2030 but like it's interesting from like a like a planning process like it's really interesting to see we don't often see this kind of stuff it is really interesting to see it's unfortunate that microsoft has kind of had like their whole presentation deck uh, unveiled that is like this is our pitch for the next xbox kind of thing but um it's like I, I don't know how else to be like more neutral about it in a sense. Like I really do find it interesting as what they're pitching. Is it something that I'm going to buy into like in five years? Like, pro- like I'm more focused on like what box am I buying to play my games on? You know? Um, and that, that might be, we are men of a certain age. 
<laughs> at this point, or at least we will be five years from now. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. Like I just look at it and I'm like, I, I have no problem with the way that I'm doing things now. And I, I don't know, not to be all get off my lawn, but I don't know that I'm, I'm going to want to change to a different type of model. Like I'm, I'm just, I, I really enjoy gaming and I really enjoy gaming the way that I do it. So I, I, I don't understand the argument for why I should move to the cloud. Um, perhaps over the course of the next five years, we'll see technology that becomes compelling to me. Um, just with my current outlook, I just feel pretty content to, like you said, to, to sit on the couch with the, with the box or the, you know, the next version of the box and, and leave it at that. I don't, I don't feel like I need much more than that. <laughs> yeah. I, and like, I don't, I look at this document and I don't get the sense that they're saying like, Hey, there's no Xbox box. You know, there is a hybrid console that is, that will play games natively, but also play games that are enhanced with the cloud. Okay. That sounds great. That sounds like what we have right now. Just the X cloud. They don't call it X cloud, but the, but the Xbox cloud stuff is, is more of just like a way to test games uh, before downloading them. That's, that's kind of been my experience with it. Now, maybe in five years, that technology becomes so great that it is, it is a great way to play games. It has not been for me, but it is nice to be able to, uh, where I have really enjoyed Xbox cloud gaming is on the handheld. So like if this approach is like leaning into like, okay, like we're really going to lean into the hybrid uh, model where we, we do have a dedicated box. However, we also support like, here's our Xbox, you know, cloud handheld. Here's our, here's our windows. Uh, they also talk about hybrid windows, you know, a machine that, yeah, which just sounds like basically a PC because like a PC can kind of do anything. I don't know why it needs to be considered like hybrid windows, but you know, the, this one's more, this specific part of the leak is the one that I can see changing the most depending on how technology comes together over the next five years. So I don't really like lose my lunch over the future of Xbox here. Like, I still think this sounds interesting if it can work. Well, I, th I think it's important to, for companies to have these types of ideas, even if they're not necessarily popular or if they don't come to fruition, um, and I think, like you said, what we need to keep in mind is this is the part that's most likely to change. We're talking about five years into the future. Um, they may be developing this and they may find out, you know what, this isn't as effective as it needs to be in order for this product to succeed. So we need to put it off or they may find out, hey, this is great. Or maybe this is technology that we can use in a different way. Um, or, or maybe it just will be great as they're planning it. But in order to move the industry forward and to move tech forward, somebody has to have these kind of ideas and pursue them to see whether they work or not. So to that end, um, you know, like I said, I may not get it. It might not be something that's appealing to me right now, but I, I agree that um, I, I'm glad somebody is having these thoughts and conversations and trying to move things forward uh, because you never know what will actually come out of it. And anything that can improve... Uh, can it can raise standards or improve the the paradigm that we currently know um, that's obviously a positive thing so to that end 
um, even if I don't get it right now, I'm glad that, uh, that we're trying to improve tech and move things forward. Yeah. And just, you know, increase access to games too. I think that's big. That's a good point. I mean, I, I've, I've been playing games probably since I was four years old. So I've, I have trouble thinking about things from the mindset of somebody who, you know, once a month they'll play a game or someone who plays games on their phone occasionally. I just don't have that perspective. Um, so it could just be like you said, um, you know, this is going to target a different market or it's improving things for people that I don't think the same way <laughs> that they do. So, um, yeah, anything that would uh, broaden the base or make it more accessible is also a positive thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and another part of this leak was like an email. Uh, there's a bunch of emails. One that kind of caught the attention of it a lot of headlines was the fact that uh, Phil Spencer talked about acquiring Nintendo. And uh, we won't spend a lot of time on this one, but essentially, like when I first read the email, it was like, this is Phil Spencer explaining to somebody uh, that doesn't understand. Yeah, well, just buy Nintendo. And he's like, well, here are the reasons. Here's what would have to happen and um, why it likely won't happen. And it, it that's how I read the email. A lot of po- folks were like, oh, man, you know. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. It's like, no, I, I I read that email and it sounded like he knows exactly what he's saying. And he's he's putting it in a nice way to basically like bad idea that that would not work for several reasons. But I'm going to I'm going to frame this in that like, hey, good work. No wrong ideas, except for maybe how would we even buy Nintendo? They are sitting on switch piles of money like it's impossible. Um, Even in the Wii U era, like they still were sitting on piles of Wii money. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know if you got the same feeling from that email of like, you know, good idea, but not good idea. So I think, um, so I think Microsoft is a company that is very open to discussion. And like you, like you said, no idea is a bad idea. And let's talk about it and consider possibilities. Like I, I also don't think there was any, serious like hey you know instead of buying uh, i i'm i'm struggling to think of somebody they've bought recently that's not activision um but if we were gonna buy bethesda how about we just don't do that and we buy nintendo instead like i i don't think that was actually the plan um is it something that came up in an email is it a discussion item was it in the meeting notes from one random day Sure, probably. Um, but that's the kind of thing you're going to find whenever whenever you have a big league like this. Um, so, yeah, I agree. And, and again, like, what is he what is he supposed to say? Like, <laughs> if somebody brought it up in a meeting, like if you made a suggestion to your boss, your boss, and he was just like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why would I ever do that? Like, <laughs> that's not conducive to a good <laughs> working environment. So. Yeah, that's a bad boss. And yeah. I. I really truly believe that Phil Spencer is uh is a good boss. He's one of the he he's one of the the folks that I I I see in the games industry and it's like okay, like he's he knows what he's doing, you know, he's willing to admit mistakes. Like even his response to this huge leak has just been it was the right way to yep. respond and um you know, you brought up Bethesda and like that was a big part of the leak as well. One of the parts of the leak here and it's where we'll kind of end. 
you know, this whole, sorry, Phil, if you're, if you're listening, this whole last half hour has just been a, a reminder of what a bad day it's been. But, um, so Bethesda had their sort of like look ahead leaked as part of this as well. There was no like internal Xbox studios outside of Bethesda that had their games sort of, uh, revealed. And, um, some of the unannounced projects in the presentation, which, uh, this is from a 2020 presentation um, that Microsoft made as part of like the potential ZeniMax acquisition, which I mean, as an aside, I found it really interesting that Phil Spencer had kind of said like in acquiring ZeniMax, they are effectively the same size as their internal studios at the time, effectively doubling their capacity to make games. I didn't realize that like ZeniMax was so large or that Microsoft just had so few internal studios for so long. So it's kind of interesting sort of comparison in that regard. But um, the unannounced games include uh, Oblivion Remaster, which was originally set for a fiscal year 2022, um, which at this stage would have would have <laughs> passed. So either that game no longer exists or is no longer moving forward or, or got delayed, obviously. Probably likely just got delayed. Um, I mean... On that note, also a Fallout 3 remaster targeting a fiscal 2024. And I think those two make perfect sense because, like, you look at Elder Scrolls 6, which is their next project after Starfield. That's five years out. And pull a Nintendo. We're not going to have this game for another four years. Put a remaster out, you know? Keep people focused on the IP, engaged with the IP, you know? make the weight a little bit easier. Uh, that's a very Nintendo move. And honestly, like it's, it's kind of weird that, you know, Microsoft PlayStation, many studios are not very good at it. Nintendo knows how to drop a remake or two when necessary, but I feel like, you know, other, other publishers aren't very keen to do that. They're keen to just be like, no, we're going to focus on, we're going to get the real product out. Just wait, just give us a little more time. <laughs> I, I sort of blanked out and, and just got stuck whenever you were talking about Elder Scrolls six and how that's, you know, another five or six years out. And I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. it's been, what, 12 years almost <laughs> since Skyrim <laughs> came out. So, this, I mean, it's, it, it, we're, we're like entering George R. R. Martin territory at this point where we're like, what's going to happen first? The next <laughs> next Elder Scrolls or will the winds of winter finally happen? I don't um, know. Yeah, <laughs> I have much more faith in Elder Scrolls Six coming out at some point. At this point, though, <laughs> um, oh, it's crazy to think Skyrim. Um, yeah, I agree. And I, I does this maybe the fact that they're remastering or considering a remaster of Oblivion does that mean they're going to stop with Skyrim at some point soon? Could be. Um, maybe we've bought that enough by now. Oblivion. Um, it, it's I, as I recall, it certainly had a, a large fan base. Um, so I think a lot of folks would be happy with that and uh, and Fallout as well. Um, I've never played the Fallout games. Um, but again, I just I know they've been uh, they've received many accolades throughout the years. So it seems like it would be a good move. Um, get those get those IP back out again. Um, I, I <laughs> it feels odd to say that about Elder Scrolls with with ESO being a thing. And uh, Skyrim being released every 24 months or so. Um, <laughs> but 
but uh yeah i mean keeping it fresh and um you know maybe there's some some thought of uh trying to piggyback on starfield you know now that bethesda has released to get another large game so sure i mean it it couldn't hurt and it'll certainly find an audience yeah well and this is the thing like if you look at if you look at their their sort of schedule release like all obviously a lot of this stuff is pushed back by the fact that you have um a lot of their studios engaged in either current projects that got delayed or projects that were released and uh, could be considered unfinished um, or just a rocky launch for that matter. Like you've got, you've got uh, another one here, which is doom year zero and DLC. So what that means, like, is it like a, is it a, a reimagining of doom one with like the current trend of like the, the doom guy or the doom, the demon slayer or whatever they, they call them. Uh, no news on what that is, but I assume it would be id and, and the team behind doom eternal working on yet another, uh, doom game. Uh, that has not been announced yet. Um, a sequel to ghostwire Tokyo, which is a game you and I talked about. Uh, so tango Works studio is likely working on a follow-up to that, which is unique in the sense that I think they've usually, well, that's not true. I guess they did do, um, two, evil within games so they have done sequels to their uh to their original ips so it's not it's not unheard of um yeah i'm i'm surprised to think of that game getting uh getting a sequel it seemed very self-contained i mean it was a good game it was it just it seemed like it would be a very niche type thing that uh they would leave it as it was so but i really enjoyed it um so i would probably play a sequel if one comes out yeah, uh, another sequel they have here is Dishonored Three, which makes sense. Bring Arcane back to their, you know, their very popular franchise of Dishonored. It's a good follow up from uh, uh, from Redfall. <laughs> so you know, get that team uh, team's name back in the, the good books. <laughs> Phil Spencer's had a tough year. I... Yeah, it has not been easy for the team at Xbox. I I do feel bad. Uh, them i mean other stuff they've got here which is more like either we knew about or is very much just project names but you've got the indiana jones game which i guess was originally scheduled for fiscal year 2022 uh that's a machine games uh game the folks behind uh the wolfenstein sort of reimagining games uh project kestrel which uh no word on that project platinum nothing else for that one and a vaguely named licensed IP game. Now that's critical because like they already mentioned the Indiana Jones thing. So like whatever this licensed IP game is, could be anything, but it is not the Indiana Jones game. So this is, this is based on 2020 data. This one's also likely to have changed quite a bit. I doubt, um, I guess what I want to say is like, I doubt some of the named, sort of sequels here like doom year zero or sequel to ghostwire or dishonored like i envision those things if it was pitched in 2020 those things are coming eventually but remasters you could see falling off the table uh you know those are things that could have gotten to a point it's like yeah it's not working out and, and kind of like move on to other projects but i would envision those sort of five things coming to fruition in the next couple years mm. um but uh, actually Dishonored and Ghostwire could be could be further out. Those that could change. But this is a, 
another part of the leak that that honestly like i i wouldn't sit there you know well now i get to now i have to wait for those remasters and follow-ups to some of my favorite bethesda games like it, it could be a bit before we they get officially unveiled um but yeah like nothing nothing in these leaks was like officially sort of like acknowledged as like yes that's happening um we we obviously haven't got that far with this news yet but uh you know some of this stuff could be unveiled at uh you know some of those games from bethesda maybe could be unveiled now that starfield's out of the way maybe some of that stuff could could see you know the limelight with the the game awards happening at the end of the year you know but uh i would envision xbox being pretty quiet through the through the end of the year (laughs) this is this is not a fun one to recover from yeah, and I mean, I wish them, I wish them the best. This has definitely been a challenging year for them, um, and also, I, I suppose with uh, with the acquisition and then everything that's gone on with Diablo as well. So, I'm sure Microsoft will be involved in and feeling that as well um, as the purchase continues. Yeah. But, uh, oh man, that acquisition. I mean, at this point, it, like they're probably like, okay, if this doesn't go through. We're just going to do it. We're just going to buy them. It'll be done. I don't care who says no. We're just going to do it. <laughs> you know, I, 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 man, that acquisition. I think it's supposed to be finishing up. I think they said a new date of like mid October. I think that's so, right. You know, maybe only a month more of that. But now that I've put that out in the world, maybe. Maybe we'll time for season two. Oops. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Could you imagine? <laughs> so, well, Anyways, that was a that was a lot to get through. A lot of news. Um and hey, there by the time we return in a couple of weeks, there might be even more to discuss. So stay tuned for that. But that is going to do it for our episode. If you want to discuss some of this stuff, go into our Discord, bit.ly/tgi-discord. Uh that's a great spot to converse. I know a lot of folks were talking about this news in there uh today. And uh before we exit, Travis, where can folks find you on the internet? Yep. Um, so you can find me on my uh, my art pages on Instagram and Facebook at Pixel Mountain Pop Art, or again, just drop a line in the Discord to look for me there. I am Travis Mountain in the Discord. Perfect. And uh, you can visit us on the web, gamersinpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter. You can find Jocelyn at Joss Plays. Make sure to look out for uh, a baby announcement uh, in October uh, and wish her good luck and congrats. Uh, as she uh, as they welcome baby Kearney into the world very soon. You can find me at R. Murphy. You can find Travis at Pixel Mountain Gaming on Twitch, right? Yes, um, and I will be streaming the event ads event from my page as well, or my channel as well that we were promoting earlier. So check me out on, on Twitch as well, and we'll have some good extra life things going um, for a little more towards the end of the year. Yes. If you go to tiny.cc slash watch event ads, it gives both views, myself and Travis. So it'd be a great way to kind of watch the action uh, unfold uh, uh, from from multiple viewpoints. So definitely check that out. Give uh, Travis a follow on Twitch. And uh, you can also follow the show on Twitter at The Gamers Inn. Uh, thank you so much for staying at The Gamers Inn. Be sure to tune in in a couple weeks. And... Uh, I don't know. Enjoy. Go play Sea of Stars. Go play Sea of Stars. It's it's a great game. Play Sea of Stars. Bye, everyone. Bye.